Howdy gang, Backcountry and Barbells, Joe Shamanic, Jeremy Day, um, helping you train, hunt, and live the best lives possible. I don't know, Jeremy, that we're doing it, but we're trying, and we figure by talking about our exploits, we can get better, and uh, hopefully you can too. So that's the goal. Um, how's it hanging, brother? It's going good, man. It's going really good. Well, Another we, beautiful day in paradise. Oh Yeah, we've been, Um, to be honest, we're still in the muggy, I mean, look, I, I actually, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in the complete opposite direction of where I was just gonna take this, but I'm gonna. So, <laughs> you know, I get out of my car going to work yesterday, um, parking, and me and this like uh, district um, grounds crew worker, we're like fighting over the same spot. It's ridiculous because you know I'm at work really early, the parking lot's empty. This guy's there to do groundwork really early. The parking lot's empty, and it's the last spot. So he wanted to work by the um, soccer field. Well, I park in the last spot in the front of the lot so I can get some steps in. And he's like, what are you doing, man? So I let him have it and I pulled forward and rather, you know how we were talking about hunting and, you know, you know, the guy over there is always an asshole, right? So I wanted to uh, fix that and say, Hey man, what's up? You ready to have a great day working in the rain? And he, uh, he looked at me clear face with a smile and said, it's only liquid sunshine, son. It's only liquid sunshine. <laughs> and I said, I said, hell yeah, brother. And uh, we had a quick little chat there in the rain and got after it. But dang, nice. man, we're setting some records, ain't we out here? I mean, it's cold and rainy for a long time. Yeah, we, I think, uh, January set a new record at 11 and a half inches for one month. Mm. Okay, let's get it. And and it's not been really warm. I mean, we've been on the verge of snow here and there and got a little bit, but uh yeah, it's just it's just been uh, messy days, but uh, you know, make the best of it. You know, get out, get your runs in, get your working out in. Um, great day to get in the gym, right? When it's rainy out, so. Uh, um, hey, you got nothing else to do. You're not going to be doing yard work. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, but it's it's been pretty good, man. So, um, ha- where have your travels been taking you? Uh, I just got back from Phoenix last night. Sweet. <clears throat> and uh, last week I did the big, big loop, which we talked about, but very cool. How's uh yeah. how's the travel treating your low back? Uh, have you have you in have you di- have you um taken a look at your supple leopard material, um your ready state stuff and and done some preemptive maintenance before you get on these planes yet? Have you started this? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I do that, and then I bought a whole set of um a peanut ball and nice. a lacrosse ball that I I travel with now, so it's in my travel bag all the time, and I do it in the hotel room every single night. And uh, oh, dude, it's it's unbelievable. Well, well that guy hit the mark. Yeah. Like, seriously. Well, speaking of balls, you know, um, when uh, we had begun this conversation about um, you know what to do with these balls and getting some, uh, we had some listeners reach out and, and ask like kind of what to do. So um, with that in mind, that's that was my topic of my Fitness Friday this week. So if you guys haven't oh. uh, checked out that segment, I kind of just go through like a. Um, kind of general broad strokes on how to use those lacrosse balls. And then also um, I give three places that I think most people, you know, it's hard to, first off, the disclaimer is I'm not a physical therapist. So if you're really injured, see one. And, um, you know, if you really have like a long-term range of motion issue, you should see one, you know, don't come to a strength coach for that. But if you're like using these lacrosse balls for minor aches and pains and you know, you're using these lacrosse balls, you know, to kind of tune up a warm up or to kind of um, make a, a cool down rock solid. You know, I'm your boy. Um, so 
but without even seeing somebody move, it's hard to say how they should use them. But generally, you know, because we sit so much and because we're so sedentary, one of the one of the big regions of our bodies, if you think of this kind of globally, is that gets crushed is our posterior chain. And um, that could be anything that you're not looking at when you're not looking in the mirror, if that makes any sense, when you're looking in the mirror. So, um, again, as we talked about, if, if folks are – looking for more details on that uh check out check out that fitness friday episode it's a quick 12 minute um what to do with that lax ball and your posterior chain so yeah man it's in i challenge everybody to try it and it's not rocket science really to move that ball around and find um points of interest (laughs) (laughs) that's a great way to put it yeah so uh, here's an interesting thing so i start doing it right and I've got, and my shoulders are kind of jacked up. Years of construction, skateboarding, slamming on, you know, the asphalt. You're being, like, a, I don't you're know being how a, many times. You're being a good human, Jeremy. That's what you're supposed to do. Been a good human. Yeah. <laughs> I always bounce up, though, with a smile. Yeah, there you go. So I, I, I had this, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Every time I get back from traveling, my sinuses jack get jacked up, get back into this humidity weather. So I've... I have this spot on my shoulder that hurts like hell, right? And I'm rolling it out, and it's the only spot. And I finally get it out of there, and then, uh, gosh, I guess it was two weeks ago. I roll around, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try the front. And all of a sudden, I have all these new spots, so it'll, like, move around a little (laughs) bit in my shoulder. And I'm slowly getting the kinks out of there, but now I can raise my my arms above my head without having any pain. Very cool. And it's amazing, but man, when you hit some of those new points of interest, <laughs> trigger points. Dude, I, I, I like, I screamed. I was like, ow! <laughs> well, I have a feeling we have some similarities, and I feel you're similar in my in that regard. Where I actually you. I don't know what it is. It's like you get to build up a callus to these things where you actually learn to enjoy that discomfort a little bit um, as yeah. the more you stick into it. And, you know, I can remember my first time on a foam roller wanting to wanting to end it right there, and then you get into a lacrosse ball, and then, you know, I meet this guy, Donnie Thompson, and I'm buying, you know, 80-pound tubes to put on my quads. And, you know, where I ended up taking that the, the highest, have you ever heard of a therapy called um, – the heck is it called my wife does it oh and danny used to do it to me uh you ever heard of dry needling no so uh, you know what acupuncture is right oh yeah 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 so imagine you take similar things those acupuncture needles and what the physical therapist does is they they find those trigger points or points of interest that you're talking about and they stick a needle in there and they kind of poke it out and you get this crazy twitchy thing that happens in your muscles it can be pretty uncomfortable when your muscles spasm and a couple times um i bent some needles and um it it is crazy um where you can take this soft tissue work um, so just watch yourself but um i would oh that's interesting yeah dry needling look it up it i don't know if they do it here in seattle needles. there's it's weird too because you look into this dry needling uh stuff and you find out that places where acupuncture is really big they don't allow dry needling it's like weird lobbying against it and for it but you know there's all types of different therapy you can do um and what i really again i love most about these lacrosse ball techniques is it's kind of like the gateway into oh i can fix myself a little bit you know it it, it, it it's it's cool initiative so uh, uh keep experimenting man i think you're gonna enjoy it 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, it takes discipline, too, because like you say, after you're rolling around and you're hitting those points and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. This freaking hurts. Yeah. But you just keep keep doing it. And it's just that instant relief. That's what's so bizarre to me. Yeah. Well, and, and, and two, I think maybe the other thing is, yeah, you, you're that 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 tissue might have just been sitting there in a junk place for a long time. And then you're going in there and waking it up. And, you know, with with when you when you just kind of find that spot and can stay there a little bit, maybe like 20, 30 seconds longer than you really want to, um, the relief is pretty good. Um, and, and, um, you know, be consistent with it, have fun with it. But, uh, I think, uh, you know, keep practicing and make sure that you just kind of, uh, slow down on it a little bit, you know, go slower on it. But, uh, that's fired up, yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm fired up with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I didn't know that I would actually enjoy crying all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a Bon Jovi or uh, John Mellencamp sang a song about that, right? Hurt so good. Ain't that ain't that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep, it is. But, I think uh, that's uh, John Mellencamp. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice segue into what I wanted to get into today. Hurt so good. Um, I don't think I've talked about my... Have I talked about my final hunt of the season with you yet? I don't think so. It was pretty. I think so. It's pretty amazing, and obviously, um, cliffhanger ended at the beginning. I did not notch a tag, but it was one of those hurt so good moments where I was like, "Dang it, I'm learning something, and I'm I'm getting better at this." Because uh, uh, it was it was pretty cool um, how I got into this spot, and um, I, I had a really I had a really rad interaction with an animal that elicited a response. Um, in my body that I've never experienced before, so um, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm doing things. So um, nice. I want to I want to talk to the at the first the first part I want to tell you about, and I want you to be proud of me on this is uh, how I got the spot uh, where um, I got my first permission. Oh, you did land permission. Yeah, yeah. So what had happened was I wasn't even going to go. Up, this hunt was not planned. Um, I was sitting there in gymnastics talking to a. Um, talking to this real estate agent who I've done some things with and um, not things who I've done some, <laughs> uh, I do the fundraising for the gymnastics and uh, we were talking about, um, we were just talking about a job we were doing and uh, she told me she was a real estate agent and I told her, I was like, yeah, it'd be cool to buy a, a piece of land that was, you know, a little couple, five acres or something that's just butted up to a big plot of public so I could hunt out my backyard. That's what I would like. And uh, she goes, oh, I, I rent a property like that to somebody. And uh, one thing led to another, and she gave me access to a landlocked piece of public land uh, via a rental property that she owned. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is awesome, man. Yeah. Um, so that that was pretty that was pretty neat. So um, do you when, when you talk permissions and stuff? I mean, uh. You know, you got any tips or tricks for getting them? Do you ever suit? Do you ever go after permissions, or is this something that you, you know you just kind of keep things public? I just I, I keep things public, and I'm trying to think back of a time when I I have asked for permission once, um, actually, in the region that you and I had hunted um, the opener for late season. Oh, okay, <clears throat> and so we were driving along and saw a bunch of deer on this guy's property. And we just, you, you know, you just go up and knock on the door and just start with small talk at first. Hey, how you doing? And, you know, they usually could figure it out when you're standing there in all camouflage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, and then you just 
hey, I saw some deer on your property, was wondering if um, it would be okay to hunt it. You know, you just kind of break the ice a little bit yeah. with small talk and then, and then go in with the big question and then just be respectful Sweet. being on their property. So, Did you get that permission? Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, no problem. He goes, the only thing I don't want you to do is shoot a cow elk on here because he had some issues with that because of late season and won't get into that too deeply. But he was very, yeah, you can hunt the deer and um, enjoy yourself and hopefully you get one. And I didn't, but. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Still... It was pretty thick once you got in there. There was a lot of alders, but yeah, there was a crap load of deer in there that we saw off of the road. Very cool. I'm still, I'm still getting a hard time from folks who were like, "Man, what are you doing wrong?" Because living here in Dupont, they're still everywhere. These, these, these deer around here are everywhere, and people just don't understand how hard it is. Um, even, even on that. But uh, the, the cool part about the parcel I got was like, it was public land, but I had to access it through their property, which was pretty neat. Um, and it, it kind of does open up conversation about that. Um, like this little piece of it's, it was like state Washington land. It was like it was not a huge piece. It was like 150 acres that was literally surrounded by um, private. Um, some of it was farm. Some of it was um, privately owned by people. And it was what was crazy that I noticed on this parcel is there was uh, there were these giant. There was this one set of giant like. Um, tree stands and almost like tree forts like a kiddo tree fort right on the edge of the the um public clear cut where some of that private was so people obviously were hunting it and dang it you know um this was a late season deer hunt but there was a ton of elk sign all over the place um pretty fresh stuff too and and there were there were a fair amount of deer in there but um uh, it, it was it was it was pretty neat but I, i'm in i'm in i'm interested in how that works you know, like how how that can be allowed, where you have these giant things of um, public land that are supposed to be for everybody, but people just gobble up what's around it, so then folks can't get on. And and to be perfectly honest, when you follow what OnX tries to do, and even some of the public public land crusader types like backcountry hunters and anglers, like this is a major issue. Like there are there are millions of acres out here in the West. Um, in particular that are that are landlocked like this oh yeah it's um it's crazy and a lot of the guys won't allow you to access their land to get up into that area they keep it as a little covenanted area yeah it's like you're it's like they're double dipping you know oh, yeah I mean? um and to and you know to its credit this isn't an issue that you know i would ever claim to be an expert on um in a place where you can get some real quick hitting like facts on this is um a podcast that i also listen to quite a bit is uh uh, ryan callahan's uh cow's weekend review where he he goes on a lot about this and um in his recent one he talked about another trick that folks do when they kind of gobble up all this private land you know where okay i got one for you you know that piece of property that we hunted late season two years ago Private property, late season, two years ago. No, it wasn't private. It's public land out there, um, out there towards down, the down where we hunt down south. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh huh. But you know, if you know, <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, you border the private land down there. Yeah, but when you drive through it, there's a chunk of private land that on the you, you drive through a public county road, um, yep. where it's private on both sides for a little bit. 
So you know exactly mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Well, yep, yep. On Cal's There's a valley right there. Yeah, on, on the latest episode of Cal's uh, Week in Review, he's talking about how it's pretty common that folks who end up, you know, if they notice that that county road isn't being maintained, and if they notice that folks aren't using it, they'll just start putting up gates on there. Um, oh yeah, and they'll actually almost claim it as their own private road. So the point is that I'm bringing all this up is even if you're a goofball like me and you're just getting into this and this thing about public land is it, it's important and in the sense that you should just kind of pay attention. One, you should pay attention like like Jeremy said when when you do get a permission, be respectful and follow the rules. But also like we should stand up and make sure that. Um, these public lands that are supposed to be for everybody aren't being exploited by folks um, who just for whatever reason get, um, you know, unbelievable access. I don't like that idea of double dipping. I mean, uh, I mean, listen, man, if you're king of the world, uh, you got a million bucks, tw- you know, whatever, uh, 200 million, I don't know, whatever the number is, and, and you can do things like that. I mean, it's hard to put yourself in those shoes, but uh, how do you... F- how do you feel about these guys double dipping? I mean, is it is it is it fair? And I mean, is it right? Gosh, dang, man, that's a tough question. Because they've I obviously mean, bought the land, right? So, I mean, sure, they've done it, but man, can you can you? I don't know how I feel. I, I don't think it's right that you can gobble it up and 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 buy private stuff around public and lock it off. I just I I kind of have, it doesn't sit well with me to be honest with you. No, and it doesn't sit well with me. And part of it is well, you know. You stop, pull back a little bit and think, okay, so why are they doing it? Are they allowing people to access through their property to get up there? Or are they just purposefully, maliciously not allowing people so that they can have their own hunting haven? That's and, right. And, and then unfortunately, a lot of guys, the, a neighborhood association is the word I'm going to use. It's not that way when you're out in the rural area. But all those landowners get together and they a lot of times make a pact and not let people up in there. Oh yeah, and that's when I think it's BS and red flag, and that's where I think it's pretty awesome. That like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and, and the Hunters and Anglers, all those guys are doing a good job of trying to f- get people to open up their land to add, to allow access for the commoners like us that aren't blessed with wealth or what have you. You know, it, and that's the thing. I, growing up as a super poor white kid from you know. Oregon, Portland, it's it's frustrating to me that they have these private clubs or super clubs or whatever you want to call them. It's just that always it's bad with me. Whatever. Yeah, no, it's, I shouldn't it's, I shouldn't get on that tangent, but No, but I, I mean look, it's awesome to get your spot and do that, but yeah. I don't want to fault anybody who's who kicks ass and says, you know what, man, I've you know, must be nice. You know, you hear this quote, must be nice. And it is nice. If if you have the means to buy you a chunk of land and you want to do with what you want with it, go for it. But I guess my issue is not, not that you're buying your land no. and you're keeping and you're you're treating your land the way you want, but when you when you do it in a way that restricts the use of other land that's meant to be everybody's, that I think that that's a major issue. So, and and you, I think it's a huge issue. Yeah, you bring up a cool issue with HOA fees and stuff. Um, well, and HOA associations, they're just as bad. Um, uh, you know, there's again, listen to Cal, Cal's week interview brings up a lot of these about how they'll, you know, public easements end up becoming big, big issues um, in, in certain, you know, 
in certain areas where they, they kind of block off access. And um, it's interesting. It's just something that um, I've never really ever paid attention to um, and, until I really started listening to some of, some of those conversations and thinking about it and then actually getting out in the woods and seeing what these public um, these these public spots are really cool, and um, it can even get to a bigger one where uh, one of the bigger issues right now is some of the folks from backcountry hunters and anglers um, are on they're in the capital right now and they're fighting to protect some uh, uh, boundary water uh, the boundary waters up in um, Minnesota. Well, the issue there is it's like uh, it protects like twenty percent of the fresh drinking water uh, for our country, and they want to do some. Uh, they want to do some copper and nickel mining up there. And, um, you know, so it can be really simple when you talk about these public land issues where it's like, hey, I want to hunt there. But it's also like, hey, we need to preserve that place, um, you know, to make sure we all got dang drinking water and access to. So it's something to pay attention to, um, you know, this off season while everyone's getting ready to kind of um, tinker with their equipment and get fit for the next season. But, you know. You also might want to pay attention to your area and how you can make sure the spots that you normally hunt are still accessible. Um, and, and I think organizations like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers are great for that. So, uh, you know, pay attention. Call your call your call your representatives, and um, you know, make sure uh, make sure you have the access that uh, you know Teddy Roosevelt, you know. Uh, granted us granted you a couple years ago so um i think it's i think it's an important issue to talk about man and you know it's easy to say uh who cares but once you start to get into some of these cool public lands you find out how awesome they are and how awesome the setup is and you you start to hear conversations about how it's different everywhere else in the world did you know i'll tell you about a quirky one i think it's like ireland where everyone's got access to all land so even if you own like your little your little five acres um i can walk on that like I can access everybody's land, but the landholder owns the animals on their land, so you can't hunt it. So that's where you get into the whole kind of Robin Hood situation where right. people were poaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so that's a weird one. So imagine that you can access all the land, but you can't get after the animals. That's almost like that's like that's like the nightmare. But yeah, that would be a huge <laughs> nightmare. And you know, I'm all for land ownership. Yeah. But like you say, when you block private or public land and not allow the public to access it, I mean, there's could be millions of acres. You know, I've heard stories of guys flying helicopters into those, which you can. Oh, yeah. You can fly a helicopter into there and then you can hunt. But I heard a guy one time and he was getting super harassed because he was up in there with a friend and they were hunting and they f- had a helicopter fly him in and one of the landowners was giving him a grief because he's like, how in the hell did you get in here? And and just hammering the guys like I took a helicopter. It's public land. So you I don't own the air rights. Yeah. So I just looked it up. If, if anyone wants to Google this and maybe I'll throw a link in the show notes since we're talking about it, but you can download the, um, uh, the Onyx and Theodore Roosevelt conservation, um, foundations, inaccessible state lands in the West, uh, the extent of the landlock problem and the tools to fix it. Jeremy, how how many acres of public land do you think are inaccessible or landlocked that that should be accessible? I'd not say landlocked? probably six million. Oh, that's pretty. Acres. That's pretty good. Did you look up the dam report? No, I didn't. I swear. <laughs> uh, six point 
1.35 million acres of western lands are entirely landlocked by private lands, preventing legal access for outdoor recreation without permission from a neighboring landowner. Uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, Six uh, million acres. Think about that. Dude, that's crazy. Um, and actually, it gets it, it breaks it down by state as well, which is pretty cool. Guess what the acreage is in Washington? Now, remember, this is all Western states, so we're talking everywhere from Arizona, Colorado, you know, Montana, Nevada, Oregon, Washington. There's a bunch: Utah, Wyoming. But what do you think? What do you think, Washington? What are we missing out on acreage-wise? Ooh, I don't know. Three hundred thousand. <laughs> You're a good guesser. Uh, Dude, what is that link again? What, what, what was the? <laughs> I'll send it to you. Um, copy. Oh, I was just gonna Google it right here. Oh, uh, just uh, look up um, uh, on X public land access report. Um, yeah, it's three hundred and sixteen thousand acres. I mean, in some states like Wyoming, it's one million. New Mexico is one million. I mean, it's pretty crazy. You know what I mean? Like, and again, that gets to my point too. Like, you know is enough enough like even in land ownership i would probably i would probably double take if someone told me yeah i got a you know i got a million acre ranch <laughs> okay what do you i mean and i don't know how big these get and how much you need but you know i don't know i don't know what enough is enough but um you know uh i think it's cool that we can get out in some of these spots and i think it's cool that they're protected and um i think it'd be even cooler if everybody kind of just had a you know a novices or you know just kind of a you know just a little awareness of this issue because it's pretty incredible man what's incredible is that wyoming has 3.05 million acres that are landlocked yeah it's crazy like imagine that how about how about a crazy hunting state like that where you can get after it and and all that land is is locked up and um you know i almost guarantee some of that land has to be you know, outfitters and private ranches, you know, locking some stuff up and, and then they're probably charging an arm and a leg to take people on hunts to do it. And that would, that would, that would double irritate me. You know what I mean? Uh, well, yeah. And that's, and that's how they do it. And you know, some of those guys make a good living off of that, but, and, but then they charge so much. Yeah. So I don't know, pay attention to it folks, but 2.5 million acres in Nevada, Nevada is like, I guess, same thing with Wyoming, but it's all freaking desert yeah. for the most part. So get after it, huh. check it out. Um, you know, it's it's just an interesting topic. But I'll tell you, I of the three hundred and sixteen uh, landlocked acres in uh, Washington, I accessed a hundred and fifty of them on my <laughs> on my last late season deer hunt. So um, it is possible, you know, some of the landowners are really cool. Some of them actually, you know, these are the yeah. things that like Rocky Mountain Elk and backcountry, they do like they'll work out deals where, Hey, you know, can we put an easement in? Can you get public access? And then, you know, there are cool programs here and even in Washington and most of them are actually out East where, you know, private landowners, you know, work with um, uh, DWFD to, um, allow access on it so if you go into your um your state's fish and wildlife site uh you can find access to some of these places so it's not all bad news but you know you know if you're gobbling up a, a, a you know a hundred thousand acres with your buddies and and you you know i don't know it's an it's an interesting debate um i would like to talk i would really like to find one of these guys um who 
who has a locked up um, parcel of public landing and get their thoughts on it. So, but it's interesting. But uh, upward and onward to the hunt. Uh, we'll throw that. I'll throw a link to that in the show notes so you guys can download it and check it out. Um, I have it right here right now. So let me grab it while I'm thinking about it. But um, the that's not all I did. I didn't just walk around on this land. Um, Jeremy, I I. I I I was walking on it and found this great little game trail and I sat on it and it was this cool little game trail between two little feeding areas. And again, I'm using the Onyx system. I could tell there were two there, but I saw this well-used path and I uh I kind of sat on it for a little bit. So I I practiced that patience we were we were talking about. <laughs> and the crazy part is I didn't have to be that patient. Like I was I sat down for 5 minutes and I saw a flash of white below me and it was a it was a it had to have been a deer. Had my bow on my lap, and uh, the deer came up the path so quick. Um, I didn't have time to draw, and to be honest, um, I don't like to draw when I don't know exactly what I'm seeing. Um, I wasn't in any deer situation, and it being and it being late in the season, I had this mentality that if it's brown, it's going down. Like it's just the way it was going to be. Um, and and this doe literally walked up to pat the path and i didn't realize how i thought i had set up like 20 yards from the path in a pretty good spot but the deer was like eight yards from me and oh, wow locked eyes with me and like i was sitting in front of the tree i think i was pretty well concealed but she knew something was rotten in denmark because she looked right at me and and it might have been because of the way i was breathing uh dude i was Having that deer come so close and wanting it to happen so bad for me to notch my first tag and to kind of do it on a solo hunt where I set up this whole damn hunt myself, like, I I went into a state of, my heart rate went from zero to hero in snap. My breathing, I... <laughs> I couldn't, like, I've never been in that spot before, like, hyper, like, literally hyperventilating, trying to calm it down, and, you know, I know I've talked on this show about, like, box breathing techniques and how to calm your ass down and get, you know, find your Ricky Bobby, that, that shit was not happening. Like, it was, <laughs> it's all, a, yeah. all that thought process goes out the door it, when you're in the moment. Yeah, like, I didn't even, I didn't have the same feeling, um, remember my elk miss where i i kind of stalked on some elk and spooked him that happened so fast um but literally me and this doe were in like a it felt like an hour stare down but it might it might have been a minute you know what i mean you know how time works when you're in those situations but you know she was stomping her hoof staring at me not leaving and i'm doing all i can to kind of just slowly inch my bow up i'm inching my bow up and i don't want her i don't want to make any real super sudden movement um but dang it, man, uh, that was the craziest. That was the craziest change in physical state I've ever gone through. That didn't involve a physical thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you fall down, you get hurt, the heart rate goes up, you cry, you flip out, whatever. But this one, like, literally nothing happened. An animal walked by me, and I'm just like, <gasps> it, it was crazy, man. Um, does does that ever? I mean, look, man, um, have you been there and? Uh, does it does it get any better the second time? Oh yeah, no, I've been there, and <laughs> and it's weird. I it's hard to calm yourself down. I don't get into that state as much anymore because yeah. I think it's when you're so hungry 
for something and then that's when the anxiety and you know all you go through all these emotions but um i remember gosh when was it when i came up oh i i came up on this elk one time well we're doing a push hunt it was rifle season and there's a big group of us i think there's eight or nine of us and anyway heard two shots so i just took off running towards the shots because usually you hear shots and then you see animals dispersing. Sure. So I see this huge bull kind of just slowly walking away from everything. And so I get up near him and I'm 80 yards away, dense freaking forest over in Oregon, um, outside Astoria. And I got my bolt action and I take it off of the safety, you know, the half safety where you could still move the bolt action. Okay. And I get up and um and my heart, my whole body, I mean, I'm <laughs> just it, it's it's way too intense, right? Cuz I'm putting the stock on this elk and he doesn't know I'm behind him. Mm. Finally, I break a branch and he spins his head and he's like 60 yards at this point and I bring up my rifle and I had a perfect perfect neck shot cuz otherwise it was just a rump shot the whole time. So I pull up, click, nothing. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> And then now I'm just I'm just sitting there shaking. And then what I had realized is in the mix of all of it and going through all the motions and I put it on half safety and the uh, the bolt action, Ugh. I guess I bumped it up and it fell back. Ugh. And so um, but all of that is because it was so intense and my emotions were going. I probably did like I did. Um, oh, man, I got another this. This is the ultimate high intense so in idaho hunting deer mule deer i hear these shots i take off running i come up over the knoll and here comes this huge buck running right at me and i've got a clear shot so i pull up and i eject a shell eject a shell and eject a shell i it was so intense i didn't even pull the trigger i just started ejecting (laughs) shells <laughs> but again, that speaks to it's, it speaks to establishing routines and just kind of letting the routine sink in. And you know, everyone can scoff at like really detailed practice for things, but you know, that's where it comes in. If you always do it, you always do it, right? Um, we're, right. And I, sorry, didn't no, no, go for it. You were going to say, well, what I think is the one thing that turned me from being to not being anxious anymore is visualizing it all in my head and calming my breathing down and just visualizing it as I'm sitting there sitting in my chair or sometimes I'll do it like I'm on the spin bike or I'm on the treadmill. I just sit there and visualize, okay, if an elk comes in within 20 yards, I bugled them in and just, I just start thinking of all the intense stuff and I try to get my own heart rate up and do all that stuff. And then, you know, okay, slowly pull the trigger, you know, pull the gun up, pull the bow up, knock an arrow. Yeah, yeah, and you can do it all inside your head to calm your emotions down, and then when you're in the mix of it, then then you can um, execute without having those, uh, reducing the emotions a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, again, again, it all feeds into the process of of winning and and setting yourself up for success, and, you know, all reps count, you know, um, you know, we're doing a little activity with, I have a new semester of kids coming into my classroom. So uh, we start out with a rule thing and I did something different this year where, um, this semester where I walked the kids through all the rules process where he we went from school wide policy, my classroom policy. And then the final project was 
um, they had to create their own kind of business card that would remind them of how to act. Like, okay, we've talked about school rules and my classroom rules, but what are your rules for life? You know, develop some, come up with a logo that reminds you of them, and, and you know, what's your way? Um, and I did this with the kids, too. I was doing it with them, and I ended up putting uh, an archery tag, an archery target with an arrow and some mountains in the background on my little business card, and I just wrote the quote, winning is a process. And then on the back of the card, I wrote my shooting process. And um, the kids were like, oh, that's... And then I just kind of talked about how that's also... You can apply these concepts to life, you know. Uh, find your target, uh, posture up, um, you know, things like that. So, it, it, and then finish. But it, so it was interesting, right? So um, I'm just hoping that eventually, Jeremy, these nerves uh, subside. Um, but it was pretty crazy. Um, let me tell you, I'll tell you how my little situation ended. When I finally, <laughs> when I finally calmed down, the deer was still there, um, still staring at me. And I had, I finally had my front arm straight and, uh, I'm about to go into a draw and you wouldn't believe what happened. Two little does come up behind this, two little, two little fawns come up behind the doe. Oh. Cutest, cutest little, <laughs> cute, excuse my language, cutest little fuckers I've seen in a long time. They were, they were, they were pretty little things, and um, they looked like Dotsons almost. They were, they were fat in the middle, short legs, big eyes looking at me, and I just, I couldn't do it, Jeremy. Uh, uh, oh, it was the right thing to do. Couldn't man. do it. Sometimes <laughs> you have to do a pass. <laughs> my ethics. My ethics are strong, at least for now. Um, we'll see if another season they're so strong. But yeah, I had to do it. I feel like I, in my mind, I was like, I had one, ta- I had one tag to notch, but I couldn't walk away with, um, with uh, three lives um, on my conscience because I, I didn't, I, 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 those things they were so small and so cute, and um, dang it, um, it, it was interesting. So, um, have you, have you ever, have you ever passed on a critter? Oh yeah, same situation. Where it's late season, and um, I saw a doe, and I had a perfect shot, and then out the corner of my eye, I see that little fawn, you know, having fun, jumping around, having the heyday, and then I'm like, I cannot do this to mom and that little fawn. Yeah. So it's, and I've done that. Oh yeah, I did that with a, a elk one year, oh, several years ago as well. I was about to just. Uh, put an arrow uh, um, a cow and a, a little one came up behind and I was like oh no and you know we teach that a lot in the, the ethics side in um, hunter safety because that's a, that's a huge one because what you do is essentially like you said if you do shoot the mom then what are the other two going to do oh, uh, yeah. sometimes they'll find or the other one. Sometimes they'll find another doe will take them in, but sometimes they don't. So you really could be killing off the future of that lineage, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, again, we go into this conversation in the beginning about how much is enough, right? I mean, look, you know, I'm, it's, yeah, I want the meat and I want it really bad for my freezer, but I also, you know, I, I still want to do things the right way and, you know, enough is enough, right? Uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to kill the two fawns myself because that's that that's poaching, right? But you know, you know, those animals are just going to get it. But then you're also torn too because something's probably going to get them. You know what I mean? I'm also torn on that too. Like nothing's really going to go to waste in nature. You know that bugs me too. Like you're going to kill this animal and you have spoilage and oh, it's a waste. 
uh, it's not really. Something's going to get it, whether it's a bird, whether it decomposes into soil, whether, whether you know, another animal comes and scavenges it. You know, I've come across enough dead and, and gnawed up bones to realize that nothing goes to waste. And even when those bones sit there, things start to grow on them. So, you know, nothing's really going to go to waste. So, But it's just interesting, right? It's just... Um, you know, I think back on the scenario, and maybe I could have, as soon as I saw the, the tail flash below me on the trail below, I could have drawn and been more ready. But um, I'm kind of glad I didn't. One, I'm super I'm super conscious right now about making sure I, I know my target and beyond before I draw. And then I'm also just super conscious of, you know, um, hunting something to me that hasn't been tainted yet if that makes any sense, where it's still kind of in that perfect place for me, where I haven't screwed it up yet. No one's been hurt. Um, I haven't done anything really bad yet. You know, it's still kind of like that. It's still in its infant stages for me, and I want to keep it as pristine as long as possible. And I really want to make sure my first my first big game notch tag, I, I got the turkey under my belt thanks to you, but I want to make sure that first notch tag is a is a memory that I can also look back on with like, it's all great. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes any that you, sense. That you did the right thing in yeah. certain circumstances. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I got enough, I got enough skeletons in my closet. You know, I don't want, I don't want my first, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to tell the tale of my first, you know, I'm going to have my little trophies from the animal. I don't want to tell those, you know, I don't want to fudge on my stories. You know what I mean? I, you know, I want right. to be proud of, I want to be proud of what happened and, and how I did it and those things. So, um, interesting. Um, I'm super proud of that last hunt that I got to go on. Um, it, it was a solo venture. It was a permission that I had, uh, acquired, um, just through kind of conversation with another hunter, which was super cool. And, you know, I, I practiced, I sat for a little bit. It worked out, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm starting to get super comfy and, and and it's fueling the fire. It's still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting so addicted to the failure, I guess, you know, I just want to prove, um, that I can do this and, and get it done. But, um, I'm getting closer, man, uh, closer and closer. I think next year, if I don't kill one, I'm probably going to pet one. <laughs> so yeah it takes time man a lot of people even even with a lot of skills in other areas come into the hunting world and there's a lot of stuff that has to come together and that is usually with experience it's not there's the guys that come out and shoot one first year and it's probably the biggest bull in the world and you know then there's a beginning of a curse right because now you have this high expectation it. yeah yeah, and, and so. well, too, and it's a matter of opportunity too. I mean, these last three years, kind of hitting it hard. Well, two two hard seasons out here in the West, um, really legitimately. That's what it is, and you can think of it as two years hitting hard hunting. But then again, if you look at it in terms of days, you know, I'm probably lucky if I've been hunting a month. I know it's Le- crazy. Huh? Legitimately, when you, that way. when you look at it that way, so you know, I try to keep that in perspective too. Um, so, but well, yeah. I know you're addicted because you had three last days this year. This is the last <laughs> day of my hunt. Yeah, that's I'm right. not going to be able to hunt anymore. And all of a sudden, <laughs> hey, I'm going out again. Going but, out again. So um, I got a I got a common cold. I got I couldn't go into work. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm working that out. So we're getting it in. We're working it out, folks. Uh, what What are your stories? What are your first hunts? Your first tags? Um, maybe uh, 
the one that got away story. Um, I've got a, I had a couple this year, a couple really intense experiences um, that I'm glad I went through, and it's all going to bundle up into a. Um, it's all going to bundle up in a, you know, something one day. So we'll work it out. Well, uh, well, cool, Jeremy. Uh, fun little chat, um, folks. Uh, remember. Uh, we got this Fitness Friday thing. If you're looking for quick hitting fitness tips, uh, we got that going on Fridays now. Um, we're into our third, our second Friday episode, but we did a preview a couple weeks ago, so check that out. Um, we got cool stuff in the works, but hopefully you guys are um, doing all you can to prep and prepare for um, for your next your next big hunt and um, uh, train hunt and live the best you can, folks. Jeremy, my friend, it's always wonderful to speak with you. Until the next one. All right, man. God bless America. Get after it, folks.